Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and on this week's show I'm interviewing Greg Gunn to talk about using colour in logo design. But before we jump into that, I want to thank FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. FreshBooks is an accounting software designed for creative professionals that allows you to quickly and easily create branded invoices. It also allows you to take photos of receipts directly from your phone to make managing your expenses a lot easier. It's a beautifully designed piece of software, so I recommend that you take a look at it for yourself. And you can do that with a free 30-day trial, no need to enter any credit card details. So to claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. So for a while now, I wanted to do a dedicated episode on color theory, but I haven't been quite sure of the best person to speak to. But a couple of weeks back, Greg Gunn, who a few of you might know if you're a fan of the Future YouTube channel, uh, released a training course called Color for Creative. So I, I thought it was a great opportunity to help Greg promote the new course, but also an amazing opportunity to pick his brains on the topic of color. For the past eight years, Greg has been working as a creative director with Blind, which is a a design and brand consultancy in Santa Monica, California. And he's also worked on a lot of illustration and animation too. So he's a great person to be learning from about color. In this episode, we talk about how to select a primary color and then how you can use a color wheel to select a color palette. Uh, working with color and book recommendations too. And we end the discussion talking about Greg's experience with illustration. Throughout this interview, we do mention the Color for Creatives training course created by Greg. So if you do plan to check that out, head to logogeek.uk forward slash color, which is an affiliate link. So if you do purchase the course via that link, not only do you support Greg, but you also help to support the Logo Geek podcast at no extra cost to you. So again, if you do want to check out the course and you want to help to support the Logo Geek podcast in the process, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash color. So anyway, let's jump straight into this. Here is the interview with Greg Gunn. So one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on is because um, I wanted to do an episode on color theory for some time. And I'm aware that you've uh, worked on uh, a color training course with with the future. And um, I I thought it would be a great opportunity to have a conversation around color and also to help promote that. So I'm just going to jump straight in on one of the biggest questions I know most of the audience will be wanting to know. And it's when when you're working on a project, whether it's a logo or uh, any other graphic design related um, project, you generally need to kind of pick one primary color. How would you go about choosing what that color is? Hmm. Well, usually I just hang a color wheel on the wall. I grab something sharp nearby, like a pen or pencil. I put my hand over my eyes and I just throw it as hard as I can against that. <laughs> um, no, I. That, that's a really good question. And color is one of those strange and subjective things, you know? So it's, in my opinion, it's part art, part science, uh, with much more emphasis on the on the art part. But in terms of like picking a primary color, um, 
I find that doing some kind of conceptual thinking before you get to the, you know, color part helps. So for instance, if you are working on a, a branding project, let's say, um, and you're trying to design a style guide, which is, you know, typography, photo style, all this kind of stuff, there should be some sort of bigger idea and, and concept at work. And that will help you inform, you know, how you design, what visual language you use, the typography and, and fonts you select. And I think color falls within that same kind of um, place where if you have a concept and you're like, okay, well, I need to communicate this feeling, this emotion, this message. What do I think would be a appropriate color for that? Um, but then that's also where the subjective part comes in. Because what might be appropriate to me might not feel right for someone else too. So that, that's also a reason why I love color so much. It's this kind of like elusive thing. Um, when you think you understand it, you, you really kind of don't. Yeah, I find it really fascinating that uh, color has such different meanings around the world. And um, every individual person has a different experience with uh, colors. So for example, there might be a specific green I absolutely love because I associate it with, I don't know, say like my first car or something like that. But then someone might, it might trigger a memory of like their, their grandma's curtains and they couldn't stand going around there. So I, I do find it interesting with uh, color that it can be very subjective. Um, but I, I mean, in terms of those uh, like associations, can can you use any of that to your advantage to to pick and how would you how would you go about knowing what would be the most appropriate selection <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that there's like <laughs> a, a test that you could perform that it's like yes that is 98 percent appropriate i i think it's um I, I think you have to do your best my like the, the whole reason i i put together this color course and i'm so fascinated by it is because I realized I just, whenever I was using color and, and, you know, picking colors and trying to work with it, it was just kind of arbitrary. I had no, I, I put like almost zero thought into it. And once I took a step back and started to understand how it works, kind of like the technical part of it, and then have a bit more consideration about what colors I'm choosing when I'm making things, I found my overall kind of I don't know, color palette started to improve and I started to develop a system and a process. And now I'm like, okay, I kind of at least know where to start. So I feel like I can do my due diligence. And when I'm working on a project and maybe a client is like, oh, that's an interesting color choice. I have an answer. I have a reason. There's, there's something there to support it. It's not, oh, I just love mint green. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely think that that's the best approach. I mean, as a few high level examples, uh, blues, uh, darker tones of blues tend to have a more of a serious feel to them, but in comparison, you know, like oranges and yellows are more fun and playful. And, and I think, um, I, I think you can use a lot of your own experiences with color to, to make, choices and hopefully you'd agree with that absolutely yeah I, I think there there is a term color psychology which i think is really interesting um but 
it too, I believe is a, an evolving thing that kind of changes depending on where you are and, you know, when, when you are culturally too. Um, because yeah, blue is a great example. Like in the States, it's like, Oh, boys wear blue girls wear pink and you know, whatever. That's pretty stupid and ridiculous, but it is a thing that exists that for some reason people believe. Um, but I'm willing to bet that's not true any, anywhere else. And, and why is that true? You know, why is that true now? Because a hundred years ago, it was the inverse. Like pink was a very masculine color. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating. Uh, I know at the start of the conversation, you actually referenced the color wheel. And I mean, I, I use that on almost every single project to help me um, choose a, a range of colors, but there might be people in the audience that might not necessarily be familiar with what that is. Would you mind briefly explaining what a color wheel is? And I'll make sure to include a, a, an image in the show notes. Yeah, sure. I, I think an image would, would help a lot more. Yeah, than yeah, definitely. <laughs> I will do my best. It's, I mean, it's, it's literally just this, it's, we, it's a wheel and it's made of color. Um, it's, it's kind of like the way I like to think about it because for some reason you don't see it in, you know, like Photoshop or Illustrator. Um, but if you look at the, like the visible spectrum of colors, like, you know, the rainbow, like left to right, it's, it's a long rectangle. If you were to just kind of make those two ends meet and make it a circle, that's, that's the color wheel. Mm. That's sort of the easiest way I think to visualize it. Mm. You know what? I never really thought thought about it, but the color wheel is probably broken down by the spectrum of light. You know, when you split light up with one of those little prism things, I don't know mm -hmm. if you did that in science at school, it breaks it down into like the, the rainbow colors. And I think that's probably where those um, relationships have come from because the, the colors, the, the one next to it on the wheel is like its, its nearest neighbor um, even from a scientific point of view. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So I know we've spoken about how you would, uh, go about picking like a primary color, but typically within a branding project, um, or any, any other graphic design related uh, topic, you wouldn't just pick one color. And I know your course dives into this in, in more detail, but, would you be able to like, explain about how you would go about selecting a, a supporting color palette once you selected that primary color? Okay, so you're asking if if you have a sort of hero color, yeah, how do you find these like yeah, how do you pick out uh, like complement complementary colors and um, other colors that you would use within that identity project? Sure. Okay. Um, the way I like to approach it. Is, is sort of two-prong, I guess. So on, on the one hand, there's um, there's the kind of art side where I find inspiration, I, I source colors from other other places that I think uh, tonally and conceptually line up with what I what I want to do. So if, you know, for instance, I'm working on a, with a brand and they want to feel like mid-century um kind of you know rustic or, or something you know you might have some texture you'll have a certain typeface and then what i would do is i would look up you know packaging design from that era and clothing and, and things like that and start to understand okay what were the colors that were used at that time and how were they used together like a, a great a great decade is the 70s because you'll notice if you watch if you watch films from before the 70s and after the 70s um 
they're, they're somewhat consistent, but the seventies is like, everything is dipped in gold and it's very warm and orange. And like, so if you want to communicate that era, that's, that's kind of like a nice way to do it. Cliche or, or, or not, but that's, so finding the right inspiration um, that, that you think fits and kind of sampling those colors and trying to identify, you know, the, the kind of palettes uh, that were in use for, you know, what, what you're after. I, I think that's one way to do it. That's a little bit more of a kind of creative approach. Um, the other side of that coin or prong, whatever, is um, the more scientific part, which is, okay, well, let's, let's examine color theory and take a look at color harmonies. And you mentioned right before, you know, how do you find the complement? So uh, a color harmony, if, if you don't know what that is, is a relationship between two colors. And there's, I go over a ton of stuff in, in the course, but, you know, there's monochrome, there's complementary, there's split complementary, analogous, you know, tetrad, triadic, all these kind of like interesting terms for this stuff. But basically it, it's like, if you have two colors, where do they, how do they relate to each other on the color wheel? So logo design, for instance, since this, this is the logo geek podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you look at a lot of logos, like, you know, 76 or the, the Los Angeles Lakers, I did not say that cause I live in LA, but you'll see the colors that they use are almost always complementary. And they're really vibrant. And when you use complementary colors, there's, there's this kind of like visual friction that happens because they're, they're essentially opposites on the color wheel, like red and green, you know? And if they're both really bright and vibrant, you get this like, whoa, it really kind of gets your attention right away. Um, and I think that's intentional because for a logo or, or a mark, you want it to stand out. You want it to really like, boom, like grab you, right? Whereas you had, if you were to have like a huge block of type, you wouldn't necessarily want people to read green type over a bright red background. It could, it could hurt <laughs> to be honest. Um, but that's, that's the, the other side to it. So like examining what color harmonies there are and taking into consideration, well, do I want something that's um, going to create conflict, maybe complementary or split complementary? Do I want something that's a little more um, easy going and it feels like all, you know, like, like kind of natural and things like blend together then maybe analogous and analogous are colors that are all kind of neighboring colors on the color wheel. And they tend to just, you know, kind of, it's much easier to look at versus looking at things that are on the opposite side. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but those are the two kind of avenues that, that I like to go down. Yeah, yeah, you, you absolutely did. And I think uh, what you mentioned about sourcing inspiration, um, I, I think that actually answers the the, the first question um, I asked because I know at the at the beginning of uh, a lot of brand identity projects, I, I know with what you guys do at the at the future, you, you do work on those uh, starscapes, or um, I know some other people work on mood boards. They they have the same um, primary uh, purpose, but from that you can. Uh, you can find relevant imagery that has the right look and feel and the mood and um, palettes that feel appropriate that you might not necessarily have considered. Um, so inspiration is is definitely uh, one of the uh, key parts of that. Are you looking in any particular place for that or is it just literally, you know, going on Behance and 
Dribble and Google search and just anywhere that you might potentially find something? That's a really important question. Um, I, I think I, I, yeah, I use the internet for, for most things. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I do think it's it's important to to be careful about where you start sourcing things from because I, for instance, I go out of my way to try and not look on Dribble and mm-hmm. not look on Behance even. Like I, I try to look outside the the kind of traditional design bubble um, because it can kind of be an echo chamber of, of like aesthetic and, and things. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, and I, I also find, you know, things are more interesting when you look elsewhere. So um, in, in the course, for instance, uh, I, I go over, you know, building a color palette for this illustration and I talk about how I wanted to communicate that it motivates people, that it's about being outside and being active in nature. And I, I start by looking at like, you know, REI and, and photos of Yosemite and, and things like that. And that's where I really like start sourcing color information from. And maybe, you know, that can, that might sound a little like obvious or, or something, you know, but I'm just trying to find something special and unique. And I know that, you know, whatever I do won't, be special and unique for the sake of being special and unique, but why not? Why not try to do something different and, and interesting, um, mm. especially with color? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the type of thing that can quite heavily dictate what the identity looks like. Cause I, I've seen um, studies of uh, famous logos where they've literally just picked out the, the colors and turned it into spots. And, and you can recognize what, brands they are um what logos they're what what logos they are because you know you can see oh yeah that color palette is ikea that's tesco's that's yeah it's it's bizarre how how much color can um impact on on an identity so i think it's definitely worth investing in that time and uh just going back to what you mentioned about that more scientific approach using the uh color wheel um uh, you mentioned about the the complete opposite color, the the complementary uh, color that kind of clashes slightly. Uh, I work on a lot of web design as well, and that can be really good for calls to action. So mm-hmm. if you know if the primary color is um, uh, through the website is used really heavily, if you use the complete opposite version, you can use that for buttons and uh, prices or whatever to help the user find their way around a website and um, I'm also thinking of paintings if you look at some like classic paintings there are a few that have that depth and they've used uh, color theory to create that depth so when you look in the the outer part would have um, you know like a a ready tone and then as it goes into the picture it would be green and that Mm -hmm. creates that that depth and that's all color theory it's all like the the technical scientific um, aspect, but everywhere you look, once you understand it, you'll see it in anything that 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 works well. Oh yeah, color color is at work on us and our in our brains all of the time, whether whether we kind of are aware of it or not. And um, I'm I'm glad you brought up the the kind of uh, classic painting thing because. That's a, that's an exercise I go over in the course. I'm going to stop talking about the course eventually. Um, but 
one thing that that taught me a lot about color was bringing bringing in some of my you know favorite paintings from you know art history and stuff and then just sampling the colors and making little swatches just to see what's going on and what what i found was that a lot of paintings that i thought were very vibrant i'm like wow that that blue is so so bright and so blue or that red is so powerful and strong and then you look at the colors that are around it and when you take everything out of context you're like ah oh, they're all kind of pastelly um but because of the way that they're arranged relative to one another, yeah, it really makes that that one that one complementary color, that one dominant color, just stand out and like jump out at you. It's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So I mean, if if there's any listeners out there that just haven't looked into how to use the 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 color wheel, once you understand it, you can do really interesting uh, stuff with um, contrasting colors, and it it becomes. It becomes easy because um, I, I know we're talking about it like it's a science, but it, once you get the color wheel out and you want something that, that uh, really contrasts with it, you just pick the opposite of that color. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I find I find it fascinating. Uh, I also wanted to quickly ask: uh, with inspiration for color, there's a few websites that I've seen. Like I, I think it's colors.com, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's got like inspirational color palettes would you advise using anything like that or do you think that could become an echo chamber as well no i i think those are great um i i think anywhere like if you were to give more thought to your color choices that's a good start (laughs) even if that means going to adobe color or yeah some of these other really really cool palette generator sites um i think that's a start so if you go there with a clear intention and you kind of know what you're looking for, then sure. Why not? Um, yeah. I, I'm also of the mind where I think if you, if you understand the way color works and how to pair colors together, you can then take something like that and really kind of refine it and, and make it your own. So you don't have to literally just find the perfect one or copy and paste and use the, the same palette someone else's. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I wanted to ask you um, about color palettes is: would would you just create that in isolation, or would you uh, work on uh, something first and then create the color palette from that? Because it's something that I've always kind of um, juggled with in my mind. Like I've, I've I, I'm working on a, an, an identity at the moment. Uh, for a company and um, I've just finished the logo and I'm going to be working on uh, packaging and other identity assets as well but they they asked me oh uh, is it worth creating like a brand guideline document now and um, yeah it's something I've never really been sure the best way to do it like would you just create the the palette in isolation you know without having worked on any uh, any elements or would you work on the elements and then and then agree the color palette and put that into a brand guidelines document. Great question. I think the latter would would be the the, the smart approach, um, solely because color is uh, it's kind of finicky, and um, you know without context, it's hard to really know if it if it's going to work for for your needs. So I'm I'm always just like, okay, here's an idea. I don't want to spend too much time overthinking the color at first, let's, let's get it into context. Let's see how it looks. And I know it's going to change. I know it's constantly going to be like, 
you know, adjusted and altered and we're going to bounce back and forth between what color goes where in an image and things like that. Um, so I, I think context is incredibly important for color and when you're building a color palette. And I imagine once you, once you send off that style guide, that's, that's the Bible. It's, you're making a commitment there. Um, so if it were me, I would, I would try to make sure that I've, I've kind of tested these colors and given them some, some context, to, uh, just to ensure that I, I like what they're, what they're doing, that they're going to work, that they, you know, that they have legs and that they can, um, you know, take care of everything I, I need them to. Uh, before you're like okay this is it yeah yeah I mean that that kind of validates what I was thinking because what I explained to my client is that uh, because it's only me currently working on the identity we don't really need to document um, any of the the rules and uh, and I explained uh, to them once once I have created uh, more of the identity the reason why you would need the, the guidelines document is so that you can bring in a team of people and there's that level of consistency between everything. Um, so I, I encourage them that we create a number of uh, elements first, so packaging and display uh, boards and, you know, lots, there's lots of different things that we're doing. And I'm going to do it. So after I've done that, that means that I can play and I can still experiment and I'm not restricted by any uh, rules. <laughs> um, and then I can document that should anyone else want to continue it. So it's interesting that you would kind of take that similar approach. Yeah, I, I think that that makes sense. Um, and also that way you only have to make that style guide once. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask, I, in terms of like a color palette within one of these brand guidelines documents, is there any like general rule as to how many colors you would choose? Mm, I, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting question. I don't, I don't, there aren't many rules with color. I, yeah, and if there are, they're definitely meant to be challenged and bent and broken. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a limit. I know that it's easier to work with fewer colors. <laughs> that's, that much is true. But when you like, okay, Google, for example, it seems like they, they use quite a few colors in their, in their branding and, I think it's less about the quantity and more about the balance of the way that you use the color. Yeah. So if you have, you know, five major colors in your brand, I'm sure one you'd like to be the dominant and maybe some secondary and then maybe some third tier tertiary. And, and the way that you use them and put them together is what will determine uh, their value and, and if this palette works or not. Um, yeah. and that's something I've seen, um, some people put into their brand guidelines and style guides. It's like, you'll see this big kind of like this big square and it is broken into smaller, smaller pieces and areas of color. So it's like maybe red is, you know, three quarters of it. And then you see the other colors kind of broken down and that gives you an idea visually, like here's, here's the balance. Like these are all the colors you're able to use, but this is how, how they should sort of balance out in, in your approach. So you don't use the third tier pea soup green as the primary color when it's meant for just, you know, like legal copy or metadata or something. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, because I I know like that example that I said earlier about e-commerce websites, if if you did pick a, a, 
a complementary color you would literally only want to use that at like a degree of like five percent otherwise it it doesn't serve its purpose because the whole point of that complementary color being there is so that it picks out certain things and and your eye is drawn to them so for example if it's a buy button or a price you wouldn't really want to use it on anything else because it your your eye is drawn to it and 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 that's what it's for so yes it's it's an interesting way of presenting it within documents that if, if you can find a way to present you know this this color here should be like 80 percent of the identity and then these other colors should just be like five percent ten percent or whatever right right I, th- I think it offers some consistency and um like you said especially when there's a team of people working on it you, there's you know continuity between <laughs> between design elements um but then again i mean look at what um collins did for dropbox regardless of how you feel about it it's so interesting they they use all kinds of like all kinds of colors really i guess traditionally weird colors you you would not think but the one thing i have noticed is that they only pair certain colors together so maybe they're using upwards of 10 different different colors for the brand but they've identified pairs that that work well together so even in that seemingly like use any color you want there there is some conceptual thinking there is mm. there is a method to the madness so to speak yeah well i i know with um with dropbox they they intentionally wanted uh, to to attract the uh, creative industry so there's obviously some strategy behind it it's not just like a random choice like oh let's do it any color it they they've allowed for that real um creativity i guess to to attract um you know people like us that that use it um on projects definitely and i i don't know if this was i doubt it was intentional but i i recall when that that rebrand first came out you know you were in one of two camps I love it how progressive or my gosh, that's hideous. And I, I thought that was I thought that was great. That was so cool. I'm like, that's the conversation I, I want to have. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean it created a it created so much debate online. It it, it must have been intentional. I, I think they would have spent an absolute fortune on that campaign and that was probably what they wanted to happen. Maybe. So um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who has sponsored this season of the podcast. As creators, we like to spend our time creating clever ideas that give value to our clients. But a lot of us spend way too much time running our business, doing things like creating invoices, chasing payments and logging all of our expenses. And that's actually where FreshBooks can help. It's an accounting software designed specifically for creative professionals like you that's so easy to use. You'll save hours each week on all of the time consuming admin that you're doing. And that means that you have more time to focus on designing logos and brand identities. Time-saving features in FreshBooks includes creating and sending branded invoices in about 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from your invoices, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when tax time rolls around, you'll also be able to export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. 
just head to freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. Now let's get back to the interview. Uh, I've got a technical color question for you. And it's one that comes up in the Logo Geek community quite frequently, actually. Um, there's different color modes. So we've got Pantone, CMYK, RGB. One of the challenges that people face is having a consistent color from screen to print. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any advice to keep it consistent? And, and I'm just going to throw something in there. Some people start with RGB colors. And uh, that's difficult to uh, translate. So if, do, you, do you have any approach that you, you take when uh, choosing colors to, to ensure there is that level of consistency across everything? Mm, yeah, yeah. That's, it, that can be a really tough one. And it's, it's like a chicken-egg situation because if you start with RGB, you have access to a wider range of color and, and value and intensity. Um, but yeah, if you use a particular color and it's really difficult to recreate in, in print, then, you know, you might never get the same kind of match. Um, conversely, if you start in CMYK, then you're kind of limiting yourself, I I guess. And, you know, maybe what ends up on screen isn't that vibrant or interesting or you, you wish it was. So do you value consistency or, um, I don't know, options? I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer there for where to start, but in terms of keeping it consistent, um, I can think of one project in particular where it was a branding project. Uh, we were building a website and then there was all kinds of other collateral and print that we had to come up with. And we we had a hell of a time just trying to find a, a matching blue, like for the one that we had done in RGB. And I, I think I think we did ultimately, but it took some time to really figure out um, the. Uh, I mean, if you're doing anything in print, you should probably have a set of Pantone swatches, like the physical ones that, that are printed out for for reference, um, because you really can't trust what you see on your on your screen if if it's going to print. And um, Pantone is very smart in, in building their, their empire around, around that idea where they, they have inks and you can use those anywhere potentially with, with printers. And if assuming they, they know what they're doing, then it should, it should look the same. So we tend to operate where we'll design an RGB and, you know, also perhaps keep in mind, like, hey, if we want to use neon green, we need to be prepared to replicate that in, in print and what that means. Um, but for the most part, you know, when, when it goes to print, we will pull out the Pantone swatches and just start looking through them and, and try to identify the one that is, that is closest. And from there out, everything we do in print will use that Pantone color so, so that there is a consistency. Um, but yeah, I think depending on, depending on the color, its intensity and, and brightness, some things are not going to reproduce and, and print very well unless maybe you use a, a specialized ink or something. And, and that's something to, to keep in mind, I, I suppose, when you're, when you're putting together a palette that you know will be printed eventually. Yeah. I, I had a project um, about six months ago where the client wanted 
a specific blue that was impossible to recreate in CMYK. And um, I understand why, why they wanted that. It was it was very vibrant and um, a, a lot of what they do is online anyway. Uh, so I, I just made sure to explain to them that uh, there will be problems reproducing this in CMYK. And I, I picked out the, the nearest to it, which is obviously a lot um, duller in comparison. But I, I, they was happy to take that um, sacrifice because, like I said, a, a lot of um, their marketing material and um, their communications is all online. Uh, mm-hmm. So they could get away with that. So, you know, if if you did want to use these like neon greens and, uh, you know, slightly radioactive, very vi- vibrant um, uh, colors that, that can only ever exist <laughs> in, in, in RGB, you can get away with it, but you just need to accept that uh, it might not be possible to, to recreate in, in print. Um, and also... Uh, what I've heard some people recommend, some people start from Pantone because Pantone, they know, will be able to be uh, reproduced and then they convert that to CMYK and anything that's in CMYK converts to RGB nicely. Mm-hmm. And um, that seems like a smart move. Um, I, I don't take that approach personally. Uh, I, I start with RGB like like you, but obviously I, I, I double check uh, the, the conversions to CMYK just before I... Uh, finish off that project. Yeah, I like that approach. That's that's smart. I, I don't know that everyone has you know Pantone swatches laying around, but that that is a great idea. And even if you do start with RGB, like you said, I, I think periodically checking what that would look like in print um, is is a smart thing to do. Also, and it will hopefully remove any surprises down the road when you when you go to print something yeah. and you're like, uh oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I know with those Pantone books, they're really expensive. And they are. <laughs> yeah, and if you're going to be really like anal about it, you know, and you want it really accurate, you have to replace them every few years because the the light damages the the colors. So um, the the books that I have, I take them out, I check them, and then it's straight back in the box in my drawer, and I keep it in the dark so that I I don't need to buy another set. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I, I think if you're doing a lot of print work, it, it just, it, it's a, it's a business. Yeah, it's a must. Yeah, yeah, you need it. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that you recommended a few books in, in one of your uh, videos recently, so it might have already been answered in that, but uh, what are the best books that you found to, to learn more about color? Hmm. Let's see. I, I think it depends on what you're, what, what you want to learn about color. Um there, there's like three key ones that, that I always like to recommend. So one is called the Designer's Dictionary of Color uh, by Sean Adams, I think. And it's a really fantastic kind of reference book. Um, so there's a there's a little bit of, you know, color education up front um, with like terminology, like this is what this means and uh, pretty helpful. And then if you flip throughout, the, the way it's organized is kind of, by warm color, cool color, neutral color, monochrome. And you can see examples of different color palettes that fall within that that kind of part of the color wheel and how they've been used in uh, print design. And I, I think they probably have some digital design in there too. But it's a, it's a really interesting uh, reference book if you're just, you have a color in mind and you want to quickly look at some example palettes that, that people have put together. Um, 
the second book, which is really great for, um, I think, learning how to work with color and especially how to pair colors together, is called The Interaction of Color by Joseph Albers. And it's it's a fun little book. Well, it's not little. It's it's pretty it's pretty lengthy, but essentially it it takes this very conceptual um, color psycholo- color psychology approach to um, pairing colors together, and then how a color's context and what colors are nearby it change how it's perceived by by us. So there's uh, it, it's basically it's like kind of half reading lecture and then half. Um, I guess like exercises that you can that you can do, where you place different colors next to each other in different ways, or kind of divide them up, and you know, it, it's hard to really uh dis- discuss without without seeing what I mean. But it's a cool way to see and and practice. I, I think um, putting colors together and understanding how they how they relate and and kind of change based on what they're surrounded by. Um, and then the the last book that is probably my favorite of the three is called The Secret Lives of Color by uh, Cassia St. Clair. And I'm, I apologize if I mispronounced uh, your name. And it's not a color theory book at all. It's almost like a, like a history uh, or storybook. And it's super cool. The way it breaks down is it, it kind of, I, I guess, like walks you through the history of how colors came to be um, in, in terms of, you know, like uh, pigment and, and print. So there's a, a story I like to share from it about tyrian purple, which is a, it's like a certain shade of purple. And there is a story in there about how that pigment came to be and how it was discovered and, and used. And long story short, it involves Julius Caesar and like the, destruction of like hundreds of thousands of sea snails just to create enough pigment to dye one toga a certain shade of purple. It's, it's like a really, really weird and fascinating (laughs) story. Um, and that's what the whole book is. It's like, did you know about this color? Um, so it's really interesting uses. Like there was another color. I I forget what, I think it was mauve maybe, but it was accidentally discovered while someone was trying to cure malaria. Mm pretty strange and interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I need to check that one out because i i saw you mention that one on the the, the video that you, that, that you recently put out so i'd i'd love to read some of those stories because you, you never really think about it because you just use inks all the time and it's like actually where does that color actually come from uh so yeah it could be a, an interesting one to to read um, have you ever read the book color works it, it's one by some of the pentagram partners um i think it might be out of print now but that's another book that i would uh recommend for you know understanding color and how to use it within branding and uh there's there's some really fascinating diagrams in there as well for like how color is used globally so you know the 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 meaning of colors in certain countries and and how they differ in one culture versus a, a different culture and uh, for, for me, that that's one of my favorite uh, books for color. But uh, I've not checked out any of those that you just recommended. So I, I obviously need to read a little bit more into color. Yeah, I'm going to find a copy of Colorworks. I, I think you're right. It's it's no longer in print, but I see some some used ones on Amazon. So No, it's good. I'd, I'd highly recommend it if you're really fascinated by color. 
um i i got a couple of books on color and that's one that that really uh stuck in my mind and is uh actually one of my favorite books it's a useful reference book but it also has some um you know some interesting theory in there as well so i i definitely recommend you check that out and listeners as well i will thanks now i i know we briefly mentioned it uh through <laughs> uh through our conversation but i uh you do have the uh course uh called colorful creatives and yes. that would be useful for people that might want to uh look into and understand uh, how to use color a little bit more. And I, I've seen some of the videos where you're, you know, actually like painting with color. Because I know you're you're an amazing illustrator as well. Uh, oh, would you yeah. mind just briefly <laughs> explaining uh, what the course is and how people can go and check that out? Sure, happy to. Um, it's called Color for Creatives, and it's uh, it's kind of like one third color theory, one third analysis, and 12 thirds practice. <laughs> I got my math completely wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I made it because I am fascinated by how color works and I started doing a lot of research. And I also found, you know, when I thought about my own, uh, education, I'm like, color wasn't really given that much weight. Um, and it was kind of like an afterthought, like, and here's how you paint the color wheel. So I thought I looked around and I'm like, I didn't really see any contemporary approaches to teaching color theory or how to think about it, how to, how to analyze it. Um, and then also, you know, really how to use it in, in your work in, in a meaningful way and the way that you probably will end up using it, which is finding reference, testing things out, changing your mind a lot, and eventually trying to get to a place where, where you're happy with it. Um, so it's, it's an online video course, um, with, uh, the future and it's very much a kind of go at your own pace kind of thing. Uh, I assigned a lot of homework, but it's optional. So if you just want to coast through it and really kind of gain a better understanding of how color works and how to use it and how to approach it, um, I, I think, I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah, I've not gone through it myself, but I've watched uh, your introductory video and it, it does look very good. And And you're right, I I, I don't think I've seen um, any modern day uh, training for color. And, and it, it does tend to be kind of that extra thing that, that's rushed through on, on other courses. So, um, you know, as you can see, just in this conversation, what we've been speaking for like 45 minutes about color and we haven't really even scraped the surface uh, uh, for, for what can be done. So um, if, if anyone is interested in learning more about color, go and check out the course. And I'm going to set up an, an affiliate link um, uh, for that for anyone that wants to uh, purchase the course, but also kind of support the, the Logo Geek podcast in the process. So I think I'll set up something like logogeek.uk forward slash color. Uh, so if anyone interest, is interested in checking out the course, uh, go via that link and you will support um, both myself and Greg. Yeah, thanks. That'd, that'd be great. Oh yeah, you're very welcome. Um, so we've kind of covered all of uh, everything I wanted to go through with color. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to find out a little bit more about you in, in the time that we have um, available. So, and I'm sure people will be familiar with um with you from, from the future uh 
because uh, you've been in quite a few of the videos now. But uh, I was surprised looking on your website how much illustration work you've done. And I'm, I'm just going to be totally honest. It's, it's, it's amazing. Your work is amazing. You're very, very talented. Um, so I, I'd love to find out, like, how did you get into that? Um, wow. Thank you for such kind hey, you're word. You're very welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. I mean, uh, I, I just, I, I love to draw <laughs> and, um, I, I think since, since kind of moving full time into working, um, on the future with, with Chris and everyone, uh, I spend less time, you know, doing creative work, like traditional creative work, so to speak. And, uh, a couple of years ago when Pro Procreate came out, I happened to get an iPad at the same time and I'm like, sure, I'll check this out. And, and I really kind of blame those two things <laughs> because it, it changed, uh, it changed my, my life. You know, I could go home after a long day, sit on the couch and just kind of draw and, and illustrate and enjoy myself. And that's really how it started. Because up until then, I would, you know, be working during the day, whether it was on client work or the future. And by the time I got home, the last thing I wanted was to sit in front of a computer again at a different desk, open up the same software and do that. So I, I think that the convenience of those things really was this kind of initial catalyst to me jumping back into, into drawing every day and, and getting into illustration and even like now finding illustration clients that I can work with just because I want to and I, I, and I enjoy it. Um, so kind of by, by accident, uh, I, I guess. And I'm also to like, I'm also able to balance, like I can watch the office and illustrate at the same time and pet my dog. Like it's all right there. So it's, I, I think if it wasn't that convenient, I, I'm not sure that I would have ended up getting into illustration the way that I did. Mm. I Procreate is not that old. Like, how recent are we talking that that you got into this? Because I, I just made the assumption that you've been doing this for years, and and it's how you eventually ended up working uh, for Blind and getting into the future. Is that is it is it really a, a, a recent thing? You know, as, as as early as whenever Procreate came out. Well, I, I think what's on Instagram for the most part, yeah, that's that's just a couple of years. Um, but before you know, before that. I've always enjoyed drawing and I mean, I was doing more animation than anything else, but, um, yeah, in terms of like illustration and really thinking about that stuff conceptually and, and doing it every day. Yeah. Not, not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. It's not long at all. So, I mean, has, has that changed your, uh, career, um, in any way? Cause, uh, I mean, what, what was you doing previously? Um, you know, when, when you did start, at doing illustration because I am I right that you've been working for blind for what like 10 years or something almost yeah, yeah. on it mm -hmm. um yeah I mean well for the since one years it two so since about 2006 I've been working as a as a creative director in some way or another and most of that time was spent um pitching and working on, you know, commercial advertisements, uh, a majority of which were, were animated or motion graphics or some kind of hybrid between live action and, and motion graphics. And uh, eventually kind of 
moved away from that, got more into branding um, and, and graphic design through Blind. And, you know, that, I mean, that, that was my, my full-time, full-time job and any creative directors out there know, like it's, it's really not doing much creative work. It's, it's more kind of, uh, managerial and, um, you know, working with clients and things like that. You don't, you don't have a ton of time to, to actually do the work. You hopefully find a, a great team and, um, are confident that, that they can, they can get it done and you can work with them to help develop that. So I, I think it was probably also a, a combination of, you know, the, the convenience of those cool things, iPad and Procreate, and also my, my longing and, and me missing, um, doing, doing some of the work, you know, and, um, I, I went to school for, for animation and, and storytelling. So I don't, I don't have the time to, to do much animation, uh, especially after a long day. I'm like, I just don't want to do that. So I just started sketching and then that led to an iPad and that led to procreate. And now I'm like, Oh, I can make some really interesting things now. So it kind of works within my, my available time also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really nice to see, like I said, when I looked, I, 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 I was really surprised because, um, I mean, not obviously I've seen you on, on the future and I know that you're, uh, knowledgeable when it comes to like creative direction and graphic design and, you know, the, uh, more traditional like corporate stuff and and yeah I looked on your site and it's like ah oh, these these illustrations are really really nice like a really nice style so um yeah it's a shame that that you kind of don't do uh more of that because I, I would picture you being a very good like, uh children's book illustrate illustrator or um you know especially with your background in storytelling You'd, you'd be absolutely fantastic at doing that full time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I, I have a very long bucket list of things and that is one yeah. of them on there. Yeah, I can so, see. Yeah, you, you should definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like uh, that's probably, you know, my my younger creative self being like, don't sell out, keep keep going with the with the art you can do something and i i at least you know i, I joke about that but i i do think um i i need a i need a balance of, of that kind of stuff so if i if i go for too long in one direction I, I think ultimately the pendulum has to swing back the other way yeah you know what i reckon that you should do you should pitch to chris uh doing some kind of um illustration course with procreate and then you can spend more time doing that whilst creating a training course <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea I, I think if i can there, and there's a lot of really good courses out there that cover that stuff so um it's something i've, I've kicked around um I, I i think chris would be open to it i just a, i want to make sure people would want to learn that and and also learn that from me and that I can give them something, something kind of. Well, I mean, if, if if anyone's listening to this now, you know, go on social media and like tag Greg and and Christo and ask, we want this, because <laughs> I th I think it'd be good to see that. Because, like I said, it's it's uh, your your illustration work is just really nice to see. So, um, so we're so. we're kind of near the end of our time. So I'm going to throw in one last question for you, and uh, hopefully it's not too much of a hard one. What's the best advice you've ever been given? You said it wasn't going to be a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best advice I've ever been given? I know you sent me this question ahead of time. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, should have, I should have given this more thought. I like to be candid about these kind of things. Um, yeah. The best advice I've ever been given. Oh my God, I'm totally blanking. It's it's probably, and I don't remember who or what exactly it was, but it, it definitely has to do with, with kind of like being, being okay and leaving your, your ego at the door when you work with people. And that's, I, I'm butchering whatever advice that, that was, that was given to me. But when you asked that, it, it made me think about where I am now in my career versus where I was when I first started. And I, I think the, I think the landscape is different now, but when, when I first started getting into the design and motion graphics world, it was very much like, you know, you're young, you just want to make cool stuff and stay up all night and do that. And it'll be great. And it really was. Um, but I look back and I'm like, man, anytime we ran into a client that didn't agree with, you know, a design or didn't like it, it was an immediate dismissal and being like, well, what do you know? You know, you don't, you don't know what's good. This is good because I know it's good. And because I'm a designer and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think, I think that attitude, when I look back at myself, I'm like, oh, what a dummy. Like you had no idea. And there is a time and, and place for that. I, I think it's not like do whatever the client says, like, no, you're the professional. I, I understand that. But when I look back on the unwillingness to, to listen and understand someone else's perspective and, and point of view, um, especially when it's, when it's their, their project and they're the ones paying for it. Um, I'm like, wow, okay. I've come a long way. Like I, like I, I do not think like that anymore. And, and that's good. That, that actually makes me feel like really good about, you know, progressing as a, as a human and as a, you know, a, a creative professional. Yeah. So I, answer your I question. Think, yeah, it does. The, yeah. It's, that this is, is a good piece of advice. And, um, you know, it, it makes me think that, you know, when you work on something and I'm going to say a logo because this is a logo design podcast, uh, you, you work on a logo client doesn't like it. Um, when you first start out, you might get really offended or you might take it personally. Or actually, you know, even when you've been doing it for 10 years, if, if they do point blank say that, you're going to you're gonna feel upset. But you sure. need to, what you're basically saying is separate yourself from the work. The work's not you. If you can try to understand uh, what's not working from a strategic perspective or, um, you know, if you can try and go more granular as to, you know, what is it that's, that's, that they're disliking. And, uh, you know, earlier in the conversation, I mentioned, uh, something about like uh, a green to me, I've got an association with that. And it might be like, oh, that was my favorite t-shirt when I was 10 years old. It was that shade of green, but then your client, they might associate that with like, like I said, you know, the great grandma's curtains and they couldn't stand going there. It's weird things that can make people just d dislike something. And it, it, you you do need to make sure that you separate yourself from the work because it's, it's nothing to do with you. It's just um, at the end of the day, it's the final piece, isn't it? Right. Yeah. The, the kind of visual analogy I, I like to use is if you and your client are sitting at a table you know, the, the project is a, an object that's kind of sitting in between you and you can both look at it from, you know, a different 
a different place at the table in a different chair and see it from different angles. And you can talk about it together. And if the client is like, oh, it's, it's ugly. I don't like it. He's not, you're, they're not saying you're ugly. I don't like you. They're talking about the, the thing you're working on together that you're building. And there's, mm-hmm. there's something that they don't like about it. But that's in, in my weird brain. That is a nice way for me to visually understand like, oh, that's not me on the table. I'm, I'm with yeah. them next to them looking at it from a different place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're both on the same page, then, um, you know, it should never be about you, but I know uh, that the first time you get anything like that, it's just not nice, but um, no, it's, I, nice. I, yeah, I, I think that's good advice. Well, Greg, it's been amazing to, um, finally get to chat with you. And, um, I, I think this has been a, a really great episode, especially if anyone's, um, really interested in uh, color and understanding color. Um, I think we've given a good uh, overview for everybody. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned, if, if anyone does want to take a deeper dive, uh, they can go and check out the books that we spoke about, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes. And, and obviously they can go and check out your course as well. But thank you so much for coming on. It was, it's been really great to chat with you. Yeah, l- likewise, Ian. Thanks so much for, for having me. If you listened to and enjoyed this interview, let myself and Greg know by tagging us on social media. It's always great to know that someone's listened. So if that was you, please let us know, you know, just give us a shout out on social media. It's always great to hear from people that have listened. So if you want to learn more about Greg, head to his website, ggun.com. And that's about ggun.com. And if you're keen to also check out the Color for Creatives course that we mentioned, head to logogeek.uk forward slash color, which is an affiliate link. So if you do purchase the course via that link, it will help to support the Logo Geek podcast at no extra cost to you. Again, that is logogeek.uk forward slash color. Alternatively, head to the show notes for this episode where you'll find links to Greg's website, social profiles, uh, links to any of the books and resources mentioned in, in this interview, as well as a full transcription too. To find the show notes for this episode, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 6.7. If you want to discuss this episode or anything else related to logo design with me and over 7,500 designers from around the world, make sure to join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and you can find it just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash community making sure to answer the questions. If you don't answer the questions, unfortunately, you don't get in. So that is it for this week, but I'll see you at the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Loka Geek Podcast.